So Luke chapter 15, we started last week and we just got to verse 1. But I'm going to go ahead and go to verse 11 and start there right now. And just set the stage for this. Um, Verse 11 says this, a certain man had two sons. A certain man had two sons. This is the beginning of one of the best known parables in the Bible. This is the beginning of a parable that we're all probably familiar with, except we have another name for it, and we would call it the prodigal son. So it's the story of the prodigal son, and that's how everybody, you know, that is so common that even in our society that people are familiar with the word prodigal. People, something's a prodigal, and it's drawn from this passage. People are familiar with it. But can I just rename it a little bit? Because it's not just about a prodigal. There's three characters in this story that are very important, and we're going to spend a little time with all three today. As long as I'll use my time wisely, we'll spend time with all three. I, I would like to rename this and just call it the Father's Heart. Instead of focusing on the prodigal aspect, now let's call it the Father's Heart. And going back and, and framing what Jesus is dealing with right here, Jesus is in a gathering of people. We spoke a little bit about this last week, but you have got tax collectors. The IRS has shown up. You got tax collectors, and then some versions of the Bible say sinners. Some, some versions say notorious sinners. So they're not just, you know, kind of on the side people. These are people that are known sinners, the recognizable sinners of the community. Jesus has got the tax collectors who had made covenant with the Roman uh, uh, occupiers that we're going to take money from these people and the tax collectors were known not only to receive what was owed to the Romans but also to pocket some and fatten their own coffers with money so the people despised them but they had no authority they had no power over the tax collectors the tax collectors were in a position of power and authority and could basically do what they want As long as the Roman government got what they wanted, the tax collectors had free reign to take from the people. So they were stealing with authority. And the people despised them. Tax collectors, notorious sinners, and then you have the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes are are described as those who were the teachers of the law. So there were people who were very... Uh, uh, noted in the law they had the ability to teach the law unfortunately they also uh, were very legalistic they twisted the law they used the law for their own advantage they controlled people using the law and then you have the Pharisees who were people who they were law abiders but they were very pious and lofty and considered themselves better than everybody else they frowned on everybody and had that had an unusual condition that uh, occurred in their hands that the three fingers ended up staying in and they had this that happened. They were real good at pointing out everybody else's problems. That's not really a physical thing. They just love to point out problems with others. Why? Why do people do that? People love to point out other people's problems and then puff themselves up. It's usually a, a, a problem on the inside going on when that happens where If you have to look at other people and condemn other people, there's usually something going on in your own heart that's a problem. So the audience that Jesus is speaking to here are tax collectors, notorious sinners, the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus starts out with three stories that are all related. He starts out with a story because, number one, the the scribes and and the Pharisees are saying, why in the world would Jesus allow these sinners here? Why would they allow these sinners here? And Jesus starts out talking about the man with the lost sheep, and how the shepherd had all these sheep in his, in his corral at night, but he realized that one is lost, and how that shepherd's heart caused him to, to leave the 99 that were secure and to leave the 99 that were okay and go out and look for that one. Can I just submit to you, just to be real brief and introduce this, that, that sheep didn't intentionally run off. That sheep wasn't trying to rebel against the shepherd. 
that sheep just was getting caught up in what's happening right in front of its face, and it's just following a path. It's just stumbling along, and as it stumbles along, it stumbles into things or stumbles down a hole or gets caught up in the bush. And before too long, it it's just finds itself separated from the rest of the flock. No sheep's going to intentionally go out there and try to put itself in harm's way. They're... They're a herding creature. Their intention is to stay with the flock, but sometimes they just get distracted or they get caught up and they drift. I saw a show the other day about American bison and these pack of wolves gathered around and they were doing their best to try to stir up that pack and they were trying to separate something else, but as long as that that herd of bison would stay backed in and had all the young in the middle... The wolves couldn't penetrate. They couldn't get in there. And so what ended up happening was all of a sudden they were able to spook the herd and get the herd running. And before long with that running herd, they were able to separate one off and they were able to kill one of those bison because it got separated from the herd. And I just want to submit to you that that sheep that was the lost sheep, it probably just caught up, maybe distracted, delayed, but somehow got separated from the rest of, of the flock. And the shepherd loved that one sheep enough to go looking for that sheep. The next parable that Jesus gives just briefly is about the lost coin. Here again, we've got a, a, a coin. That coin didn't run away. That coin didn't try to get lost. In this situation, even though it may be harsh and may seem cruel to say it, it got lost probably because it was accidental or neglect accidental or neglect, that one of the ten coins that this lady had, one of the ten coins got separated, so she's left with nine and there's one lost. But in her case, she valued that coin so much that she turned the house upside down. I was talking with someone the other day that had lost something and they were frustrated and concerned and I was trying to coach them on how to look I remember when we had young kids in the house, we lost our van keys. You know, I remember one of our kids, I don't remember which one, but one of our kids flushed a red rubber lobster down the commode one time. It was about that big, wasn't it? Just, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to the, <laughs> the plumbing? <laughs> that lobster didn't make it back to the ocean. Besides that, it was rubber. But that day when we lost our van keys, I started wondering, are they down the commode? So, you know, but things go down the crack of the couch or go behind the bed. And so I, I started looking and I began to look so thoroughly. I could tell you, I went to the living room. I moved every cushion. I pushed down on the base and looked down the cracks along the side. Nobody's ever done that, right? That's how I used to fund myself when I was a kid. I'd search the couch for the extra coins and go down to the store and buy some beef jerky or something. Uh, but I searched the couch. I lifted the couch. I looked on every shelf. I looked on every space, every place that a key could be in that living room until I could check the box and say, there is no way. It cannot exist in this space. I'm moving to the next room. Went to the bedroom. I searched the bedroom so thoroughly that I could check off in my mind. It's not between the mattress. It's not by, by the wall. It's not under the bed. It's not in a shoe. It cannot exist in this room. It, it is somewhere, and it's not here, so I'm moving on. And I searched the, every room in our house so intensely, opened the drawers. I went through everything. I, don't, I think it was the only set of keys that I had for that van. So I had to find them, and I, want you to, I went through the whole house, and I, I was just dumbfounded because it could not exist in our house so i turned around and went outside and opened the trash can and i started grabbing bags of trash and i'm thinking how are you going to hear but i want you to know about the third bag i heard something jingle i opened up the trash bag the kitchen trash and the keys were in the kitchen kitchen trash now since i've drug you through this whole life story let me tell you my point. If you really value something, you will go after it. You will search with everything that you have to be able to find it. 
In the case of this lady in the Bible with the ten coins and one was lost, she moved everything in her house until she knew, until she found that coin. And with exuberance, she even, I don't know how much that coin was worth. But I can tell you this, it was enough to where she asked her neighbors to join her in celebration that she found that coin. So it really meant something to her. And in the context of these two stories, one which is a sheep that just kind of strayed away, not paying attention or just getting caught up in life, caught up in things, it gets straight away. And then a coin that by no fault of its own, it wasn't distracted. It was actually somebody else's negligence or somebody else's neglect or somebody else's forgetfulness. Lost the coin. It wasn't the coin's fault. It was just lost. But it needed to be found. He comes to a whole nother story. And while we have framed it, the prodigal son, really the relevance of this story that we're getting ready to read is about three different people. And we need to, to get something from all three. So let's go there. And I'm going to start by just reading through the passage, and then we'll come back and look at it. So in verse 11, it says, Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. It says, so he, speaking of the father, divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, gathered all of his stuff together, and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. That's where we get the word from. That word is not used a whole lot in the Bible, but it certainly is used here. <clears throat> but when he had spent all, I'm trying not to comment. I'm trying to just move forward. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. <clears throat> then he came to himself, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, and I perish for hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So let's pause right there. We're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time just with that, that first one first. So number one, let me say this. That this son was of the household. He belonged to that household. He had been raised in the household. He apparently had come to the age where he was at least of adult status enough to where he could receive an inheritance. Now, the way things worked in those days was that when it came to the inheritance, the older son had a right to a double portion. He had a right to twice what anybody else in the household would be receiving. So it could happen that the household could be held together until the father passed away. Or it could happen that the father chose to separate his household while he was alive to divide it up. Now, the reason why an older son received a double portion was because the older son had a responsibility to take care of any leftover, left, uh, not leftover, but any remaining family members, a mother, daughters, things like that that had not been married and uh, had a responsibility to take care of them. But I wanted to, to make sure you understood, this, this son, even though it seems a little bit pretentious on his part, he really had a right to speak to the father about his inheritance. He had a right to start his own household. He had a right to step out. So the fact that he's actually doing that is not necessary in error. I mean, we may fault him. Why in the world would you do that to your dad? But it says, look at what it says. He said, so he came and he asked, give me the portions that fall to me. And then it speaks of the father and said, so he, the father, divided, them to, divided to them his livelihood. That struck me when I read that. Do you realize what the father did? So any of you, if you have amassed money in investments, if you've got money, if you've got a household, if you have something that's actually, you know, in those days they lived off of their herds, they lived off of their farmland, they lived, 
they were, they were um, from the produce of, of their, their means and, and the things that came from their means, they, that's how they lived. You know, uh, we, uh, we have people that are investors. We have people that live in the same type of way, and that's one way in, instead of just punching a clock, okay? <clears throat> but it says that the father divided up his livelihood. So what was really being divided, what the father was giving away was not just was that son's portion, but it was also what was there to help provide a living for the dad. Do you get that? His livelihood, which means that at least by a third in this situation, presuming there's no other siblings, at least by a third, the father is limiting his own earnings, his own uh, lifestyle, his own, uh, the provision that would come to him for him to be able to live. He divided his livelihood to them. So it wasn't just an apportioning of the inheritance, but it was also limiting the amount that he would have to live on for the rest of his days. That struck me when I read that. It says not many days after that, that that young man just, okay, I'm ready to launch. I don't know what it is out there, but it looks bright and beautiful. I'm getting out of this household. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to set sail and do my own thing. And so he leaves. He gathers everything together that is now his, and he just takes off into a whole other land. <clears throat> and there it says that he, he took all of that and he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Another uh, uh, translation of the word prodigal means riotous. He's just having a big time. He's just living it up. And then it comes to a point where all of a sudden it says and he's, when he had spent all, when he had spent all, you know, a lot of times we, we fail to plan. We fail to prepare. We fail to look forward. And we just are focused on exactly what's happening today. We're not planning for it tomorrow. So that when he had spent all, oh my goodness, a famine arose. And he's stuck. A famine arose and he began, it said, to be in want. He didn't experience want when he was in his dad's household. He didn't experience want. He didn't experience want when he had all that provision that he was squandering all over the place, living it up. I know someone who was first cousin to this prominent, if I were to call the name, you'd know who I was talking about, a prominent wrestler that I can't even go too far, otherwise you know who I'm talking about. But they said that he had this, even in his retirement, that he would show up in a bar and he would just say, drinks on me, you know. And he had order for everybody and it was always about the big party and the showmanship and had this big night and everybody, oh yeah, he's in the house, you know. You know, he showed up and everything, everybody was all, but his family's like, he doesn't have the money. You know, we're living on next nothing, but his lifestyle was, he was always trying to be the life of the party, trying to be the big man in the house. And it got to where, well, the, this guy here probably found himself in the same position. All of a sudden, all those friends that had gathered and were glad to spend his wealth, where are they at this time? You don't hear about people gathering around him. You don't hear about people wanting to celebrate and share with him. They're willing to take, but they're not sharing. And so he finds himself in a, d a desperate situation and... ends up desiring the very thing that the swine are eating. Now, this is desperate in more than one level. How many of you have ever worked a pig farm? All right, who lived on a farm where you raised hogs? I can't raise my hand. My granddad raised hogs. I remember being about two years old and being at the hog farm and a sow jumped up against the side of that rail about scared the liver out of me. <clears throat> I don't know if that's a spiritual term or not. But that sow scared me. It, it, it got my respect. But you, can, you don't have to know there's a hog farm and you can know there's a hog farm. You don't have to see it. You don't have to know it's there. But if you drive within reach of a, within a nose shot of a hog farm, you know it's there. They stink. And not only that, here is somebody 
that apparently from, it doesn't specifically say, but in a Jewish culture, for Jesus to talk about to Jewish people and talk about somebody working among swine, swine even sounds worse than pigs, hogs, swine. I mean, it was deplorable. They were an unclean animal. And here, this son of this household that was able to give him inheritance, this son of that household is serving pigs. The muck, the stench, the smell. He is, his life, his livelihood is coming from these pigs. It says that he desired to eat what the pigs were eating. He was desiring to eat the, the, the pods, it says. But nobody gave him anything. He wasn't even getting anything from there. And all of a sudden, his mind goes back to home. And he starts thinking, even the servants in my dad's household are doing better than I am. I'm going to die here among these pigs. Maybe, maybe I can at least go home and find a place at my dad's house. So let's move along a little bit and talk about the father. Go to verse 20. So he arose, the son arose, and he came to his father. He went to his father. <clears throat> it says, but when he was still a, a way off, a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandal on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this, is my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. So we're going to pause right there and just look at a few things about the father. Number one, remember I wanted to relabel this sermon. We're talking about what would have been called the prodigal son, but I want us to call this the father's heart. Because what stands out to me more than anything, what really makes this whole story work is that father's heart. It was the father who was willing to give up his own livelihood, give up his own standard of living, to be able to make sure that that son that he knew was getting ready to leave, he still loved him enough to give him a part of his inheritance. Just like Jesus, the night before he died, was willing to break bread and make covenant with these people that were getting ready to betray him. What kind of heart is that? Mom, dad... Your kids ever broken your heart? Do you love them? Would you do anything you could to call them back home? Would you do anything you could to wrap your arms around their neck? Would you do anything you could just to set them back on track and get, get them right one more time? That's a father's. That's a mother's heart. That's a parent's heart. And that's the way this father was. Look, he still had household to maintain he still had things going on in his life he still had a, hunt, a son in his house but it says that the father was standing out there looking afar off he may have had a busy life going on but his heart was always looking towards that son that was lost he was always looking for that son that had strayed away i'm sure it was no surprise in the father's heart to find out that this son had squandered things he always knew that that could happen it was the son's right to use that wealth in whatever way he desired but the father's heart was still looking to a son this son may have strayed but he wasn't a prodigal to him he was still a son he was still looking for the son and if you look at the dialogue that the son has with himself, maybe I can go to my father. Maybe I can go to my father's house and I can confess to him. I can repent to him. I can say, Dad, I know I messed up, but I'm, I'm sorry. I messed up. Can I at least just come back and be one of your servants? Can I serve? 
in your house. Oh, I don't deserve. I don't deserve any more from you. I just want to come be one of your servants. I just, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. And you can read through the dialogue that he has with himself, hoping that maybe he can at least live, have a place. Just, I just need a little place. I just need enough just to live. I don't deserve anything else. And so when the father runs out and sees him, when the father runs out and falls on him and kisses him and loves on him, the son begins his conversation. He said, Dad, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but Dad, I, I understand I messed up. I, I understand I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve anything from you. You've got a right to kick me out. I blew it. The way I've lived has affected your name. The way I've, what I've done has affected you and your own livelihood. I, I don't even deserve a place here. And I've already received everything that was mine. That's as far as he got. He never got to the part about may I be a servant. Because the father's heart leapt in before he could ever get there. We may not see that we deserve much from the Lord. We don't. But I just want to tell you something. His Father's heart's leaping in for you. You may look at yourself and you may be able to see all kinds of failure. You may look at yourself and say, I, I don't deserve. I hear all the promises. I know all the things that the Scripture talks about coming from the Lord. It may, all those things may be there and it may be great. I don't deserve anything like that. I, I just have so much hurt, so much pain. I just need some help. I need, I need someone to just get me past this obstacle and get me past this difficulty, get me past this hurt. Can somebody heal the brokenness in my heart? Can I tell you something? There's a Father's heart towards you as well. You may be feeling unworthy. You may be mindful of all the guilt and all the hurt and all the pain and all the brokenness. And you may see yourself as a pile of ashes or just broken glass, nothing to be thrown out, swept and cleaned up. And as long as we can just get out of here. That's not how the Father sees you. The Father sees somebody that He wants to run to, that He wants to embrace you. He wants to fall on you. That just means that as He goes to hug, He just wraps Himself around and embraces, surrounds them with his love, and kisses him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's the Father's heart. I want to submit something to you. This may be radical, and some of you may not agree with this, but that's okay. Just, just get a hold of this for a little bit. We always frame that prodigal son as though he is just this sinner. He's out there messing up. You know, his, his life is... When I was praying and reading about this, the Lord spoke to me in a different kind of way. He said, look, that was a child of the household. That was somebody who lived in the house. That was a son who had the inheritance. That was a son that was in relationship with a father that chose to depart, chose to leave, chose to take what was an inheritance and use it for themselves instead of using it for the household. Because what could happen was the household could stay intact and everybody in the household working together multiplied the blessing for the whole household. You know, it's no new story to you, and, and I won't elaborate a whole lot on it, but Cecile and my temporary journey down to Florida exposed a whole lot of things in me and it showed me a lot about the body of Christ, too. I know at about that time, there was a Barna report that came out. Uh, George Barna... Uh, some people like him, some people don't like him, but he's a, a, a statistician. He has studied the church, studied trends in the world and things like that, but he studied the church to, to help the church, help the body of Christ. And one of the things that he came out and studied about that time was that he said 
that about 30% of people in the United States who call themselves Christians, and he defined call themselves Christians as people who believe that they are redeemed, that they have accepted Jesus as their Savior. They love the Lord. But about 30% of people that say that they love the Lord and have given their life to Jesus, that 30% in the United States was out of church. They had not forsaken the Lord. He's talking about people who have not forsaken the Lord, not people who have sinned, but people who have removed themselves from fellowship. So let me put it this way. They haven't forsaken the Lord, but they have forsaken the assembling of themselves together. So they're not functioning as a body. They're sincerely wanting to love the Lord. They're sincerely wanting to have a relationship with the Lord, but they're not functioning as a unit with the body of Christ. You can have a relationship with the Lord. You can have a very personal and good relationship with the Lord. And I'm not... I'm not But let me just say this. God's intention is for the body to function together. Because even though you have a good relationship with the Lord, and you can have a great relationship with the Lord flying solo, but you still don't have all the gifts and all the abilities that God has given the body of Christ. God's intention is for us to complement one another. I make, I say Colossians when I should be saying Chronicles. I sometimes make mistakes and, and during the week somebody will come along and remind me. I'm like, ah, oh, can't believe that. But you know what? Even that, I love it. Can I just tell you, I, I'm okay about making a mistake every once in a while. <laughs> All the time. And I don't mind being some, having someone correcting me as long as they're not like, I can't believe that guy. So... You know, feel free to let me know when I make a mistake. I really don't mind it. I'm okay. I laugh at myself. Probably more than I laugh at other people. But there's a lot of people who love Jesus. But they have become disenfranchised with the institution of the church. It's not Jesus that's offending them. But something has happened in the body of Christ where they've been hurt. And let me tell you this. One of our experiences down in Tampa, when we went to Tampa, I was supposed to go down there and work with seven different churches and help them get better at what they do. It sounded rosy. It sounded excited. I was excited for the personal development in, in, the, in the work and in the, in the body of Christ. And it didn't happen. A lot of things that were promised didn't come about. And I'm like, oh, me, Lord, what just happened? But I ended up being able to develop relationship with those churches and ended up being able to minister to a lot of the churches and minister specifically to the pastors. But here's the point. We lived in Tampa for seven, for, not seven years, four years, thank you. But during that time, we really had a hard time finding a church that felt like a home. We would go to a church and just like something's just not, uh, just does not feel like, so let's try another place. And so we went to another church and, I, and they got the fancy church has got the 5,000 people and the hundreds of kids and the coming out on Friday night. They got this great new facility and the video games and all kinds of things going on and the great praise and worship. And yeah, that feels great, but you're lost. You don't, nobody knows who you are. You can come and go and it doesn't make any difference. Somewhere down the road, they may say, welcome, is this your first time? No, we've been here for months or years. We went to a whole bunch of different churches, and we ended up having our greatest fellowship was in a home group. That was where we were the tightest with people. That was where we had our most intimate relationship. That's where we grew more than anywhere else. So the reason why I'm passionate about connect groups and home groups and small gatherings and getting together at McDonald's with a couple of people or spending some time one-on-one -on -one with people because I understand the powerful dynamic that can happen in the body of Christ. It may not look like the institutional church, but it is the church. And God can use that to radically change lives. You get to have the conversation that you can't have with me right here, that we can't have like that. So I believe in small groups, but I also know that God has a purpose for the gathering of the saints. When all of us come together and we work together to be able to accomplish God's purpose, we can do more. But I want to just submit something to you. 
I, the Holy Spirit's been dealing with me about something this week, and that is that Father's heart hasn't forgotten about those brothers and sisters that we know that may have stepped outside of fellowship. Look around. Do you have a connection? Do you have a relationship with people of the house? Yes, they, they left. And I'm not trying to frame anyone in a negative standpoint, okay? But they're not here among us. They left knowing what their covenant provisions were. They know what their inheritance is. And they left and they are doing whatever they feel like they need to do. But do they need fellowship? Yes. Where's the Father's heart towards them? Arms open wide. Where's our heart towards them? If we're of the household, we should have our Father's heart. So what happened with this older brother? What happened with this older brother? I can't read it to you unless I can find where I put my glasses. Well, I guess we could read it off of there, right? Verse 25. Now, his older son, the one who stayed home, the one that was responsible, still working in the field. The older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What in the world's going on at my house? What are y'all doing at my house? So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has, re because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And the older brother was angry and would not even go in. Who was he hurting? He separated himself. He was so angry that he isolated himself. He pulled away. He didn't even get to partake of the fatted calf and the festivities. He was jealous. But he was angry. It would not go in. Therefore, his father came out to him. Where's the father's heart? Outside of every justification, every finger-pointing opportunity there was, the father's heart is still the embrace, the inclusion, wanting to have relationship, wanting to have intimacy, wanting to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's still wanting his son, inclusive. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've, I've never transgressed. I haven't strayed away. I've been faithful. I showed up at church on time. I've been out there doing everything that I could. I, I've served. I've done everything just right. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. You know what's really interesting about that? Not only the fact that he's having a pity party, that he's jealous, that he's angry, what does it say about the younger son earlier? It says that he went out and he did what? He said he had riotous living. His prodigal living is what the word, how the word says. That he out was having a riotous living. What does the older brother say about what the younger brother's been doing? Harlots. So here's this older brother mentality. I'm not just going to recognize you did wrong. I'm going to point out the details he has been harboring in his own heart he's gonna detail it out i'll give you line by line about your failure i know what you've been doing i'm gonna expose you to the father and prove that you're not worthy i'm living i'm doing everything i'm supposed to be doing but look at what they're doing they don't deserve anything do you see the father's heart anywhere in there so body of Christ family of the Lord when we come across 
someone who has been in the household and maybe just the busyness of life or they got caught up in stuff and kind of stumbled away and they got caught up in the thicket out there and got away from the flock or somehow they they got lost they just life got busy they got caught up in things and they just ended up apart from the household or or perhaps there's somebody and it wasn't necessarily a negligence on their own part maybe somebody else messed up maybe somebody else didn't make the phone call and so they didn't feel included and maybe somebody else figuratively stepped on their toes on their toes or hurt their feelings toes stepped on their toes or hurt their feelings or maybe somebody else due to their own negligence didn't reach out and include them in something and so they felt separated they felt lost it was somebody else's error that caused them to be apart it may be somebody that just forget it i'm not having i'm out of here I don't, want, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I, I want to do my own thing. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm out of here. What's our place in that? What, what, what are we supposed to do? Where should our heart be? If we've been walking side by side with the Father, if it Christ in you is the hope of glory. If we've been transformed by being in his presence, then our heart should be the same as his. Is it? Do you know a lost? Do you know a separated? Do you know a fallen brother or sister? that still needs the love of the Father? Has God put someone on your heart that you can run to, that you can wrap yourselves around, that you can kiss on the cheek and invite them in? Has God some, put someone on your heart that you can show the Father's heart to? Can I, I just want to be open and transparent with you because I, I, I have to. But God exposed me in the last two weeks. I didn't mean to be wrong, but I have been wrong. I didn't mean to sin, but I did. And it has to do with, let me just tell you, I, I grew up in a household that we were exposed to Y'all don't let your mind run away. <laughs> I've lived among Christian leaders my whole life, even as a child. I had the ability to run down the halls of the headquarters of the denomination we were part of, and it was okay. I could go put my dimes in the Coke machine and get the soda out of the fountain in the back area where the leadership was, and they knew my family name, knew my dad, so it was okay for the little guy to be here too. But I, I grew up around leadership in the body of Christ. And through the years, I've been exposed to churches and ministries. I've been exposed to people who have been a part of churches and ministries. I've heard what was happening on the, on the platform. I've heard the chatter that was going on behind the scenes. I've heard the stories. Pastor Eric, if you're in the ministry, you, don't, you can't help it. But you hear stuff that's going on. You get to hear the human side of what God is using And I have been guilty without even realizing the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that I have held offense or stood in judgment. And I didn't even realize it. I did not realize it. But I've been guilty of talking, about sharing, about rather than valuing what God was doing in the gifting, kind of... Uh, holding a lid over that in my own heart rather than rejoicing in what God's doing. I'm saying, you know, but there's a human side over here that I know about. It's not something that I sought out and I look for. I know people that have been hurt and people that have been through things and people that, that went through things. And I'm spending a whole lot of time with this. 
just because I want to tell you that I've realized it in my own heart. In a way, I've been an elder brother. Yeah, they didn't just fall. Do you know what they really did? I didn't mean to do that. I didn't realize I was doing that. But I believe I've, I have in some ways limited what God could do through my own life. There have been times when the things that I've heard about have been burdensome to me. It hurt me because I've always been very jealous for the body of Christ. Even when I was a teenager, I would pray over churches that we would visit. I'd pray for God's vision to be made clear in that house. I'd pray for people who were a part of that church to rally together around that vision, for God to activate and, 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 uh, and uh, activate the gifts and callings on their lives and help them be able to walk out what God created them for and for there was a body to be able to function and to flow and be able to accomplish God's work for that. What was God's vision for that area? Why did God plant that church, not just in that town, but why did he plant them in that neighborhood? Why did God have those people as a part of that church? Lord, help them to understand their purpose and their, their calling and to be able to live it out. My heart, I've been very jealous over the body of Christ. And when I saw somebody doing something that was hurtful to the body of Christ, it riles something on the inside of me. I'll pray for that person to have mercy, but I'll also pray for God to protect his body. Without intending, though, I've had the, 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 the spirit of the elder brother. And for me, it, it more is in the area of leadership in a church than it is, or leadership in a ministry, than it necessarily is in, in people that may just be stumbling and hurting and struggling and things like that about life. And so I, with regards to the area of leadership, I have been guilty of having the spirit of elder brother. So let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit has taken me into repentance over the last few weeks. I have found that that transformation in my own heart has seasoned my conversations. I found in my own heart this week when I was talking with, with some ministers that, that I had to change my conversation in order to give them the father's heart and not the elder brother's heart. So I'm confessing that to you because I believe as God is freeing me that God will also free all of us. So let's make sure that the way that we conduct ourselves with the people we come in contact with the way, the way that we move through our life this week and in the weeks to come, that it's really seasoned by the Father's heart. And I want to pray with you, and we're going to stand here, and I want to pray, if you would, Cecilia, would you come and, and play something? As we stand, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to take what has been shared today and to imprint it on your own heart and folks, let's pray about people that we may know that, like I say, they may be represented by that sheep that's out there lost, or it may be that they're like the lost coin. They just, somebody hurt them, somebody lost them, somebody did something that caused them to be separated. But also, there's people that need to be in this house that aren't here, that they haven't been contacted. They just kind of stumbled away, and we need to go get them. We need to call them back. Because I believe that even the prodigals that may have gone and gotten involved in sinful things or may be involved in things that don't look like Jesus, I really believe that God's going to use some prodigals to be a bridge to bringing some people that don't even know Him. They may have gotten involved in things. They may be connected with some things. They may be a gateway for a a good life group, a connect group to be able to be among their peers so people can ask the questions that they don't get to ask in church. They may, knowing where they've walked and where they've stumbled, be able to reach some people, but that's going to be arms extended for the body of Christ to be able to extend our reach, to extend our tent pegs to reach some people that need to be preached. Don't expect people to stumble into these doors. May God send them, but we need to go get people. We need to go reach people. We need to go where they are and bring them in. If they come stumbling in, we're going to wrap our arms around them and love them like the Father. But there's people that we need to go get. So God's going to put some folks on your heart. Will you be obedient to wrap your arms around them and love them the way he does? Mighty quiet. May it be so. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Heavenly Father, Lord, you broke bread intentionally with us in mind. You extended your covenant to us. God, it really wasn't just about us. Lord, what you did, you included us in your purpose and your plan. And your plan includes reaching everyone within reach. So God, I do pray, Lord, that you would rip out any kind of stony, hard heart that we might have. And God, would you clone your heart inside of us? Lord, if we have been prodigal and willful, just, I'm going to do my thing my way. I'm not going to get involved with other people. I just want to do my thing. I want to take all the blessings of this covenant, all that was provided for me as a child of God, I'm going to take it all and just use it for my own good. I don't care about the rest of the people. I, I've, I've got my own. I can do it, stand on my own. And our own brokenness, our own hurts isolates us from other people. Lord, I, Lord, change our heart if that's where we've been. Lord, if we've been on the other side of that spectrum, we feel all puffed up and good because we, haven't we been serving well? Haven't we done perfectly? We didn't rebel. We didn't turn away. We've just been in the house grumbling, pointing fingers at those that went out and got involved in things that we didn't agree with. Lord, help us not to have that heart either. But God, may the way we live, the way we speak, the way we think, and the way we conduct ourselves reflect the Father's heart. God, may we be quick to embrace, quick to in love, quick, dear Lord, to go after those that are lost. And God, quick to invite them home. And we will celebrate as heaven celebrates. Lord, use us for your glory. Would you just commit yourself to that by saying amen? Lord, use us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. Let's be that people. Impact somebody for the Lord. Impact one.